So if you guys want to turn with me to the book of Jonah, and as we go there, I'm, uh, I'll just open us up in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for um, what you've given us, this beautiful sunshine, this awesome place to come and, and worship your name, Lord. And I pray that uh, right now you just give me wisdom to, to preach your words, Lord, and, and uh, that it would go out effectively in your name. Amen. So Jonah, Jonah chapter 3 is where we'll start today. Um, so where did we last leave off? Jonah 1 and 2. I've been going through Jonah for, feels like, feels like forever now, but it's probably been a few months. Um, so in Jonah 1 and 2, the past few days for Jonah, uh, they've been a little tough, you know. You know those days when you, you wake up and and, you know, things just don't seem to be going right. You feel like everything you're doing fails. You, you oversleep your alarm. You, you're, the traffic's busy. You, maybe your, your wireless data on your phone is a little bit slow and you're all annoyed. And, and, then you, and then you look on your Instagram account and you only got 32 likes on your most recent post. And, and then you go and get swallowed by a fish. I mean, come on. Can this day get any worse? Let me give you guys a Reader's Digest condensed version of what's been going on for the past few days leading up to chapter 3 and 4. Jonah, he's a prophet of Israel. He was sent by God to go to Nineveh and where he was to call out to them so that they may repent and turn to the Lord. Jonah thinks, great, that sounds like an awesome plan. But instead of that, ah, I think I'll head down and go the opposite way over to Tarshish. So Jonah goes down, hops on a boat, he falls asleep on the boat. He wakes up. He sees a storm. He jumps overboard. He f- goes into a fish. He comes out of a fish. And then he finds himself back on the beach, back near Gath Heifer, where it all began. This whole story began, his hometown. And you know, in the deepest, darkest depths of that fish is where the magic happened. When it was messy and dark and soul-crushing, Jonah called out to God, and God responded. Jonah realized that he wasn't actually going through a punishment from God. It was merely an intervention. When Jonah called upon the Lord, he was delivered. God honors his faithful servants. And by offering a sacrifice to the Lord, Jonah was delivered. And, you know, not in a nice, clean FedEx box sort of way, but he was hacked and coughed and vomited up on dry land from this fish. And that's where we come into chapter 3 here. So let's dive in. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You know, God has a bit of a funny way to bring us back to where it all began. Have you ever noticed that? That he has a knack of letting us try things and fail. And, you know, as much as I personally don't want to admit it, some of you might be in the same boat. It's okay. You can, it's safe here. You can admit it. No judgment. But me, I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit stubborn, okay? I admit it. I like to do things my own way. I have a knack of, you know, asking for advice, asking someone how to do something, and then going, eh, I think I'll just do it my own way anyways. And sometimes that comes back to bite me. Um, I won't point it at you guys, but some of you might have noticed my middle finger uh, looks like it got uh, painted with some black nail polish recently. However... Uh, this was actually the result of me being a bit proud. And, and so what was going on was at work, 
Um, we were replacing a tub. We were installing a bathtub, and it's one of those nice, big, you know, tubs in the middle of the room, self-freestanding tubs. And, and so we were putting the tub down, and we were holding on to the rim of the tub, and we were about to place it down. And, and my partner says, okay, this is what we'll do. We'll each hold the sides, and we'll place it down together gently so that no one gets hurt. And I go, no, 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 no. You put your end down, and then I'll, you put your end down gently, and I'll put my end down after. And I'll take the, I'll take the weight and everything here. So we're holding on to the lip, and he does like he's told. He puts his end down, and I go to put my end down, and then wham! I don't know what happened, but something clicked into place, and that tub dropped on my finger. And uh, yeah, let's just say it hurt without getting into too much detail. <laughs> I, I won't say much else, but it hurt. <laughs> and you know, as hard as it is to admit, sometimes we're that way with God. You know, sometimes I'll ask God what to do, and I'll, I'll be praying, and I'll say, God, what, I need some advice here. What do I do? And then instead of waiting to listen or, or waiting to take a moment and, and hear from him, I go, I just forge ahead and do my own thing, only for that to suddenly fail, and I'm right back at square zero right where it all started. Um, and you know, thank goodness our God is patient because he's constantly bringing us back to square zero, isn't he? <laughs> back to square zero so that we can try again. You know, God can see things that we can't. Verse two tells Jonah to go to Nineveh, that great city. If you notice in your footnote of uh, verse two there, it says, it says the Hebrew meaning a great city to God. Often in the Bible, as I did some research, the, words, the word for great, which is gadul in Hebrew, is actually means relating to God. It means great to God, like it says down there. So to Jonah, this was a disgrace that this Gentile city would be called great. But God sees far more than what we can see. He looks past the surface and is abounding in love and compassion. You see, the Assyrians, which Nineveh was a part of, the the establishment of Assyria, they had a history of being pretty nasty. They, history tells us that they would torture and berate their, their prisoners. They would do things that are so much worse to them than any modern torture that I could ever even explain. They, would, they were gluttonous and debaucherous, and they were all around just, to, just not a nice people. But God looks beyond that with Jonah, and, and he sends a savior in the same way that Jesus was sent to save us. Jonah is used by God to call out to these people. Jonah's gone through what he can only see as affliction, being in the whale and, and being thrown overboard. And then he's requested to call out to these nasty Assyrians. Sometimes I like to relate to the people of Seashell. No, just kidding. God wants Jonah to call out to these nasty Assyrians so that they can be redeemed? God dares ask me to do more after all he's put me through? You know, when God brings these people through affliction, he has a request of them. He has a purpose. He doesn't just bring you through pain and trials just because he thinks, eh, why not? You deserved it. God has a purpose for your life. If you're experiencing affliction, if you're experiencing affliction right now, you better start getting prepared because God's going to use you. Even if it isn't how you think, he might not use you how you think, even if, even if you don't see how he's going to use it. Everything that God does is to bring glory to his name. Everything. I heard a good one on Facebook the other day, actually. You don't hear that very often, do you? <laughs> good one on Facebook. The quote was, sometimes when you're in a dark place 
and you think you've been buried, you've actually been planted. I kind of like the idea of a caterpillar, personally. The idea of a caterpillar coming out as a beautiful butterfly. I don't know if any of you guys have seen A Bug's Life, the movie A Bug's Life, a classic movie. If you haven't, that's your homework after church today. Go home and watch that movie. In that movie, there's a, there's a caterpillar named Heimlich, and he is a fat old caterpillar, and he, the, the whole movie, he goes along, and at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, he becomes into a butterfly. However, he's still a fat old caterpillar with these tiny little beautiful butterfly wings. Maybe it's something you have to see. <laughs> and here, here in, in Jonah, Jonah's about to boss, blossom into a beautiful butterfly. Let's go verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Jonah accepts the mission of God for the second time. He's still a little begrudgingly, as we see in the later verses. Maybe he's, you know, maybe he's dragging his feet a little bit. It's a bit of a journey to get to Nineveh still from where he was puked up on shore. So maybe he's, you know, pushing the snooze button on his alarm when he wakes up every day. But, I mean, he's still going. He's making his way there. And it just makes me think that sometimes, you know, we have to do what God just what God calls us to do. Sometimes, even though we don't really like it, we just do it. Uh, practically, in our everyday lives, how do we apply that? It's not every day that we get called to go to Nineveh or go to a far-off land and, and preach his word. But Joshua 1 verse 8 tells us to meditate on his word day and night. And you know, sometimes in my life, it gets to the end of the day, and I'll be... Maybe it's been snowing out. Maybe I just was at work all day. Like the past week, it's been snowing. The fire's on. Maybe you're sitting down to watch Jeopardy or, or The Price is Right or whatever's on. And, and you go, oh, shoot, I haven't read my Bible today. And you go, ah, God, I, I don't really want to meditate on your word. I don't, I don't want to read the Bible right now. I'm busy. Can't you see? I've just about got this next puzzle figured out. But you know what? God called, tells me to do it. He tells me to daily stay in his word so that I might be prepared for every good work. So I try my best to read my Bible, personally, every day. Some days it's begrudgingly, I'll admit, but it still gets done. Verse 4, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. Jonah makes it to the edges of Nineveh and goes about a day's journey in. In Earlier, we see that Nineveh is about a three-day's journey to cross from one end to the other. So he heads about a day's journey in, which is about right to the center of Nineveh, and he speaks the words that were told to him. Are they all that, God's word, that God instructed him to speak? I'm not totally sure, because it seems like a bit of a doom and gloom prophecy and a little short, but it was something at the very least. 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, well, overthrown? That doesn't sound too bad, right? Like, it's, it's not like you're 
It's not like you got burning sulfur raining down on you from above or anything, right? What's the worst that could happen? Overthrown? Maybe uh, you just get a new king or, I mean, really, how bad could it be? But if we look in Genesis 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, I'll read it to you here. You don't need to turn there. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Well, okay, yeah. Being overthrown maybe doesn't sound totally ideal, for lack of a better word. In fact, it kind of sounds scary. The idea of, of sin and the consequences of sin, they're kind of frightening. You know, sometimes in our, in our modern society, we're too focused on the idea of God's love, the idea that God has such a deep, unconditional love for us that he sent his only son to be beaten and tortured and hung on a cross. He took away my sin from me, which is true. But hey, I don't have to worry. How can you not want to follow a God that, that would do that for you? But if that's all that you ever hear in your life, then you'll never fully appreciate the things that God has done for you. You never fully understand what God has truly done for you. Slowly, you, you start to forget why you even need a Savior. You just are focused on the idea that he loves you, which is true, but you become complacent in your sin. And it's important, in my opinion, to know both sides of why God loves you so much and why he sent a Savior and what the consequences are of sin. Psalm 917, the wicked shall return to Sheol and all the nations that forget God. Second Thessalonians 1, 9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Matthew 13, 50, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Revelation 14, 11, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. That's some pretty scary stuff. It scares me. It's a good thing I went to the bathroom just before because I'd be getting a little wet if that was. <laughs> but you know what? It's okay to come to Jesus out of fear. It's okay to, to come to Jesus out of fear of what would happen if you don't. I hope that as you get to know Jesus more and more that you'll come to realize the benefits of of how much he loves you and the extra things that, that he does for you, the extra benefits of being a follower of Jesus. But let's be honest, the fear of, of consequences is a big motivator. And that's exactly what Jonah uses as his message. He's a rebellious prophet sent to a rebellious people to preach a rebellious message of death and what's going to happen. And you know what? In one of the most mundane, underrated, boring, seemingly non-effective messages you could probably read in the Bible, the people believe. Just like that. Approximately 600,000 people in the city of Nineveh turned to God. And the Bible underwhelmingly says the people of Nineveh believed God. That's it! That's all you have to say? They believed? They just believed like that? Are, are you with me on this? Metro Vancouver has a population of 603,000 people. So I'm going to try that. Maybe I'll try. After church, 
I'll hop on the ferry, I'll, I'll head down to Robson Square and just preach some simple words like that. And uh, check your newspapers tomorrow because the whole city is going to turn to God. <laughs> you see, the hand of God was on Jonah's, on Jonah's mouth that day. The movement of Nineveh that wasn't due to, to man's speech, but it was a spiritual movement. There's no other explanation other than the workings of God in those people in Nineveh. You know, there's many people, as I was going through it, who actually refute the book of Jonah, who claim it's not a valid book and, and it's not true and, and none of those things happened for a number of reasons. Some of them claim how different the style of writing is compared to some of the other minor prophets. They claim, you know, there's no way a man could be in a fish for three days. There's no way he could cause that many people to repent with that simple of a message. It's just not possible. There's no way that happened. It's not true. But the people who claim that, the scholars, they don't know the same God that I know. The God who can part rivers for man and woman to walk across. The God that can cause donkeys to speak. The God who brings the dead back to life. The God who can move mountains, who created the earth and sea. Man and woman and some people claim that the book of Jonah isn't true because how can one man do these things? And if you start to question the validity of the book of Jonah, then you better start questioning the whole Bible, my friends. You better start asking yourself and digging deeper into the God of the Bible because my God isn't a God who can be put into a mold and said, well, there's no way he could do this or that. You know, my God is the God of the Bible. And if there's, if you find something in the Bible as you're, as you're reading through it that contradicts with, with my thinking, then guess who better change? That's me. The people of Nineveh just believed. They just believed. That's all it says. The people believed. There's something interesting about the people believing this prophecy of, of doom and gloom and disaster and you know, if it was me and someone came to Gibson's, I'd just probably blow them off. I'd, you know, that guy's crazy. I'm not listening to him. Whatever, that's going to happen in 40 days. How often do we hear, I don't know if you hear it all that often, but how often do we hear the call for a church revival? We need more people back to Jesus Christ. You know, how, how great would it be to see a, a, a revival in our days like we, we've seen in some of these stories in the Bible, and I'm all for it. I'm 100%. I think we need, a, we need more people coming to Jesus, 100%. And there's two things in here, as we see from, this, from Jonah's message, that lead to the revival of God. Two things that happen as Jonah speaks to the people of Nineveh. Number one, for a revival, you need the faithful, true teaching of the word of God. And number two, you need the hearing and accepting of the word of God. I speak, you listen. As followers of Christ, it's our job to ensure the faithful and true teaching of the word of God to others. Not to, not to make things up and, and spread some false truths around to try and lure people in. Just purely speak the clear truth of Jesus Christ and just leave the rest up to God. It's not about how many bouncy castles we have at the next Christmas dinner, although that would be all right. 
It's purely just the truth of Christ that needs to be shared, and we need to let God do the real work in the hearts. And along with you speaking the word to the recipient, they need to hear and accept the word and let God work through them. And that's what Jonah does here. He just speaks what he was told to speak. Sometimes it isn't always pretty. Sometimes it isn't always the loveliness and greatness of God. Sometimes it's just about the need to repent, the need to follow God, because if that doesn't happen right now, who knows what could happen in 40 days. Verse 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king of and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. You know, apart from the title there, the people of Nineveh repent, Nowhere in the text do we actually see the word repent. Because to repent is not really a, a dictionary definition, something that you just look up and go, oh, okay, I understand. To repent is actually the act of doing. It is a, a, a purposeful choice to turn from, from what is wrong and look to what is good. It isn't just a quick prayer and, and you call it a day and just, ah, just go keep on sinning. This is serious. This is serious stuff. You go through serious changes in your life. Even, even let the animals' cries be a symbol of their need for repentance. So what does it mean to be covered in sackcloth and ashes? Does that mean I need to go home today and grab my great-grandfather's urn and, and uh, start walking around with ashes on my head? No. It, it, in Middle Eastern society, they use sackcloth and ashes as a, an outward expression of their inward feelings. Sackcloth, which was usually a coarse material made of goat's hair, um, that was kind of symbolizes the expression of, of sorrow and pain. And, and the act of putting ashes on oneself or sitting in ashes is an expression of desolation and ruin. The key word here is, is change, to act upon their need. You know, a prayer during the commercial break of Game of Thrones doesn't really count as the same thing as truly repenting like what we've seen here. In the same manner as the king being an example to his people, we are an example to the people of the world. Who was the first to cover himself in sackcloth and ashes? The king. For some of you historians, side note, kind of interesting, this wouldn't have actually been the king of Assyria at the time, who was Shalmaneser III, but it would have been the crown prince of Assyria, his name was Asher Danin Pal, who was, it's all kind of confusing, but he's under the king, and he's kind of in control, but he's above the governor of Nineveh, and so he's in the, he's kind of con in control of various regions over the Assyrian Empire. I won't get too far into it, but there's a lot of history in the various kings and the happenings of that time, and it's all very interesting and very confusing to look up as you try and cross-reference this guy with this guy and that guy over there, and, and, um, it's interesting. You can read through Second Kings as a, of a list of the uh, various kings of the time. 
The king of Nineveh, Asher, Dan, and Pal, he sets the example for all to follow. Just like we are the church who's called the light of the world, we're put on a pedestal and provide light for all. So the next question is how? How do we, how do we show the light for all? How do we be an example like the king was to his people? You want me to leave here today and go to the farm and look for some sackcloth and start cutting out for the summer 2017 fashion or what? Is that what you want me to do? No, keep your thumb in Jonah and head to Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. If you really don't want to do that or you don't have a Bible, we will have it up on screen. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. That's courtesy of We College. Philippians 4, verse 8 and 9. the right verse here? Yeah, I do. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, think about those things, practice those things, and the God of peace will be with you. Man, that's pretty awesome, aren't they? Those are the things that we should be leading others to by example. We should be thinking about those things that Paul says. We should be meditating on those things, and the God of peace will be with you. You know, we don't need to be going into the streets and, and sitting in your cul-de-sac in ashes for our city or for our country. We just need to be actively expressing these things that Paul tells us. And when we set aside time, when we make an effort to practice those things and to meditate on those things, then the God of peace will be with you and with me. The idea of repentance is to, to turn your face away from the sinful ways and think about the things that are true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. A true shift in focus and repeatedly come back to those ideas. It's not a a once a month kind of deal. Just try and focus your mind on those things and the God of peace will be with you always. You see, the people of Nineveh, they were doing an outward action to show their inward feelings. They didn't have the same assurance that you and I have nowadays. They didn't have the past knowledge of a Savior dying for our sins. They merely had a hope, like verse 9 says back in Jonah. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. You know, they were holding on to a hope, a dream, that that maybe God might relent. Nowadays, I can assure you right now, right here, right now, if you turn to God and ask him into your heart and declare that he is the Lord, then you'll be saved. That's the only step you need to take right now. You don't need to question whether you'll be saved. You don't need to 
have a grandiose outward appearance, all you need to do is, is turn to God, ask him into your heart, and declare that he's the Lord, and you will be saved. I can assure you of that. These Ninevites, they had no assurance. They had a hope, and they took the necessary steps to make it happen. And what were the results of that? Verse 10 goes on. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. As much as this is a prophecy of doom, it's a call for repentance. You know, God doesn't sit up there in heaven with a big magnifying glass just waiting for us to screw up so that he can smite us one by one. He wants people to come to him. He wants to take our burdens. He wants to grab hold of you and, and take your troubles and turn them to tranquility, to take your pain and turn it into pleasure. He's on the edge of his seat, not with a heart desiring to squish you one by one, but with a hand reaching out to save you. And thankfully, our God's a patient God, one who will take steps and send people to guide us to his mercy. As we read there, God changed his mind. God relented. Many people here actually claim that God did change his mind. Jonah said, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown, and now God changed his mind. What's the deal? I thought God didn't change his mind. I thought he knows everything. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. Numbers 23.19, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Isaiah 55, 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So God doesn't lie. He doesn't change his mind from what we read. He knows all that's about to happen. He's, he's infinite and all-knowing. And I'm going to be honest here. For me to try and get my mind wrapped around what God's thinking and what God does with my finite brain is just a practice of frustration, and I'm not even going to try it. But, what I do know is that as much as this is a, a growing and learning experience for the people of Nineveh, as it is for Jonah, God knew the people of Nineveh would repent. That's why he sent Jonah. But Jonah can't see that as we go into chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. In your footnotes, if you see, it says, it was exceedingly evil to Jonah. If you remember in verse 2 of chapter 3, we know that to God, Nineveh was a great city. But to Jonah, with his finite mind, it was exceedingly evil. How different of a comparison these two are. To Jonah's finite mind, he's ticked. He's angry. What God sees as great, Jonah sees as evil. And he prayed to the Lord and said, verse 2, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Oh, Jonah just knew it. And oh, he's so angry. 
Didn't I tell you this, God? You're such a pushover. I told you this would happen. You're so gracious and merciful. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That just makes me so mad. It's all, it is laughable. I don't understand. Just kill me. These Gentiles don't deserve any of this. And in an act of, I mean, I can only describe as just a temper tantrum. He runs out of the city. He builds a little booth for himself to sit under as he watches the city and thinks to himself, you know what, maybe, just maybe, God will grow a spine here and get a little tough with these people and start raining fire and sulfur down upon them because that's what they get. That's what they need. They need to be shown a lesson. Verse 6, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. God appointed a fish. He appointed a plant. He appointed a worm. He appointed the weather. There's nothing that God doesn't have control over. He can bring up whatever he wants and take away whatever he wants. Jonah's plan was to use this little booth. I can imagine him up on a hill, maybe up on Solm's Hill, a little booth, build a little place for him to hide under. He wanted to use it as a viewpoint for destruction, but instead God uses it as a viewpoint for teaching. He brings a plant to provide shade, then has a worm eat the plant, killing it so the heat and wind could once again beat upon Jonah. And again, Jonah wishes to die. And at this point, I mean... I'm starting to think God might be getting a little incredulous. I know he's patient, but really, how patient can God be? Really. I'm starting to get a little annoyed with this guy, and he's not even talking to me. So God responds to Jonah's death wish. But God said to Jonah, verse 9, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You see, Jonah had more compassion and care and pity for a plant that was alive for 24 hours that has no value he had more care than he ever showed for the city of Nineveh. And if Jonah has that much care for a plant, how much more care does God have for his people? Luke 15.10 tells us, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Every time a sinner repents and turns to God, there's a party in heaven for that one person. How much more does God care about his people than about the plants of the earth. You know, living on the Sunshine Coast here, I'm going to be careful here, there's the lack of, of, of a better word, there's a bunch of hippies here, okay? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but there are hippies here, and I value those hippies because they fight for the things that I just can't muster up the energy to do for God's creation, which is totally valuable. 
But the problem is, as soon as the problem of what tree is going to be cut down or how much greenhouse gases are going into the air. Now again, these things are important. These things are totally valuable. God's creation is valuable. But as soon as those problems come before the direct life of a human person, there's a problem. Before those problems become come before the value of one of God's people, there's a problem. The value on a human is so high in God's eyes. You're valued so much that it is almost hard to even, even fathom that the fact that there's a party in heaven when just one person repents. I can't even begin to imagine that. Your importance on earth is more than you could ever imagine. And as I invite the worship team back up, I'm just going to encourage you that, that maybe, maybe right now it's a tough time. Maybe God's doing things or, or asking things of you that you just don't understand, you just don't agree with. You don't want to do. Maybe God's asking you to do those things. But I want to encourage you this morning to stay strong and follow through to the end like Jonah. God sees you. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these words, God. Thank you that you have so much value on a single person, that there is, there's joy in the heaven when just one repents. I pray that we, we take this, this warning of Jonah, this, this heed of, of sin and the consequences of sin to heart, Lord, that, that we would constantly be, be practicing and, and repenting on the daily, Lord, looking to your face. I pray that everyone leaves here this morning would have the assurance, Lord, that we don't need to go through sackcloth and ashes to be assured of your mercy, Lord, that your face will shine upon us every day. Amen.